This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, May 12th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. This is your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. With me from his office in Fort Smith on the phone is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, good to talk with you again. Hey, glad to have you back. Yes, I'm glad to be back. COVID-23, COVID-19, COVID it felt like COVID-23, but all, yeah. all better now, energetic now. And I cannot wait to talk to you about one of our topics. A session was held this week to kind of educate folks in Fort Smith about what it takes to get additional airlines or airline routes to an airport. I am such a nerd for this sort of thing. Well, that makes two of us. Um, and I think there's a lot of interest, whether people are nerds or just want another route out of Fort Smith, there's a lot of interest in this. And I think there's some frustration uh, among Fort Smith Metro residents, which is why uh, Michael Griffin, director of the uh, Fort Smith Regional Airport and the commission are, are wanting to kind of begin this public education effort because they see XNA, it seems like every other week, XNA is adding a route to here, to Orlando, to Chicago, to L, you know, it's yeah. just Phoenix. And, you know, they're wondering, well, what the hell is going on here? Why can't we get another route? Because right now the only carrier is American Airlines, and that's a Dallas-Fort Worth connection. So it doesn't matter where you're going. You have to go to DFW, through DFW to get right. there. And um, Delta had service from Fort Smith to Atlanta. That ended in summer of 2020. And so um, the uh, this consultant, uh, Rick Lovell, um, he's with Mead and Hunt. They're out of Wisconsin. But they do – this kind of thing for airports all over the country, in fact, all over the world really talk about, they, they work with them on getting um, other airlines in. And so I think the issue, you know, the, the primary piece of education, I should say, for folks in the Fort Smith area who are wondering, why can't you get another route? What's going on? It's just that the airlines can't spin it up quickly. Um, number one, there's a shortage of pilots and shortage of crew. And on top of that, in the last couple of years, partially due because of the pandemic, these legacy carriers, now these are the, the big guys, you know, the American, the Delta, United, these aren't the low-cost carriers, but the legacy carriers pulled uh, routes, uh, pulled completely out of 69 airports, and Delta left 16 markets, America, Amer- American left 17. And on top of that, you have 400-plus airports around the country doing all they can to recruit you know, more routes. So the comp, not only is the competition stiff, so even in normal circumstances, let's say the airlines had enough pilots, they had enough crew, they had enough planes, fuel prices weren't a problem. You'd still be up against immense competition among 400 plus different airports just in the U S seeking more routes. So Lovell and, and Griffin were essentially want to talk, you want to kind of explain to the community that, you know, what we're up against is that, and then we're also up against states and cities who throw in a lot of money. You know, there, there's this thing called a minimum revenue guarantee. You know, for example, hey, you know, Delta, if you come to X airport, we're going to make sure you uh, you get a million dollars a year. We're, we'll make sure you get a million because you've told us that's what you need to be profitable. And so the community raises money through governments or businesses or individuals or whatever, and they've got that pot of money. Ideally, Delta would have enough traffic where they would make that million and they wouldn't and the, that community wouldn't have to make up the difference. That's kind of one of the things that um, Lovell is pushing is to educate the community that if, if you want another airline, you may have to kind of make some create some incentive packages for these airlines. One other thing on this, um, Lovell talked about leakage. They, they conducted a survey where they show that, Roughly 23% of residents in the Fort Smith Metro use the airport. 23% of residents who fly use the Fort Smith Airport. They need to, part of the public education is to encourage people that while it may not be convenient, try to use, if more people use the airport, that creates a better case for bringing airlines to the airport. Um, I have some increased numbers and some down and decreased numbers. First, April building permits in the Fort Smith Metro down in April compared to March but way up compared to April of last year. Um, and year to date, um, the numbers continue just to show gains. And let me point out once again that these gains that we're looking at through the first quarter of the year are up against what were, you know, we talked about it all last year, very healthy numbers last year. Last year was a set a record above and beyond the previous record. 
you know, last year it was 480 million in building permits, uh, which was ahead of the 343 million in 2021. So these numbers continue to be almost stupid. I guess stupid in a good way. But year to date, the the region that's Fort Smith, Greenwood, and Van Buren. That's what we measure. Building permits are about 211 million. That's up almost 33 percent. Excuse me, in the first four months. It's the first four months of the year. Um, so they're up almost 33 percent in the first four months. Fort Smith permits um, overall are up uh, almost 87 percent through the year. Um, and, and Greenwood and Van Buren are doing well also. So just a lot of construction. Again, it continues to be some of this heavy um, commercial. I think the Mercy Project, which is a hundred plus million dollar project, had another large permit uh, pulled for it. So, uh, and we're continuing to see some construction in the residential side with that foreign military pilot training center coming. And of course, with the Arkansas College of Health Education continuing to push demand for that, I think we will see that through the rest of the year. Frankly, Kyle, I was expecting to see a slowdown maybe in. Uh, March and April, yeah, um, because of interest rates, and it just didn't happen. So at some point, interest rates, higher interest rates, have to kick in and um, suppress uh, demand, suppress construction. But I, I'm, I'm not seeing it yet. One of the, if not the, most polite rejection letters I ever got was when I had, uh, for like the third time in 30 years, sent something to Williams, Weldon, and Lick and said, I'd love to do a story about what you do, knowing that they're very, very guarded. They don't want counterfeiters with their tickets and everything. And uh, Jim Walcott sent me this nicest letter, said, Kyle, I listened to the show. I appreciate it. You know we can't. Um, Have a great month or something. And I never met him, but I'll never forget that wonderfully kind thanks but no thanks letter. Yeah. Well, that, that was him. We're talking about him because unfortunately he recently passed away. He passed away May 7th after a, a long battle with cancer. But yeah, I met him a thousand years ago when I was working for the Forcement Chamber. And for some reason, he took a liking to me and was just, was just a mentor and gave me guidance sometimes whether... <laughs> Sometimes whether I wanted to hear it or not, just a fixture in the community. He served on many boards. And when I say served on boards, we we often say that about folks. They served on a board or they remember this. He served. He worked. He was the darnest thing I ever seen. If he was on your board, you better be ready to answer questions about the budget, about your person. He got into it and he he would get invested in whatever he was doing, even if it, you know, volunteer service roles. And he made everything better. And I think among his many accomplishments, and the other thing to say is that he did, he did all this quietly. He didn't want credit. I remember there were a couple of times he, I, I wanted to do a story about something he had done. On some, and he just, like he told you, he got interested. He didn't, didn't do it for the credit. There were right. plenty of other people out there. He would say plenty of other people out there working hard on the front lines. They, they need to get the credit. Well, he was doing things. But the biggest thing he did is when Sparks Health System sold and through a series of events, they found themselves with considerable sum of money. And there was some talk about setting up a foundation so they could do health care scholarships and this kind of thing. And Mr. Walcott just became adamant. And I've talked to some people who were in on some of those meetings and that he was adamant almost in a very aggressive way saying – we got to quit just doing what we've always done, handing out a few scholarships and setting up a little foundation. And he said, we've got to move the needle. He kept saying, we got to move the needle. Keep in mind, this was after Whirlpool had closed its doors and a lot of the Whirlpool vendors had left and left a pretty big hole in the Fort Smith economy for a while. But his advocacy, his aggressive push to move the needle is what resulted in what is now the Arkansas Colleges of Health Education, 700 and something or more students out there, um, several hundred faculty and staff, a uh, an economic engine that continues to grow. It's got the Health and Research Wellness Center that used to be in the old Beverly building. He is definitely one of those people that every community, if every, if I had about 10 Jim Alcott's, mm-hmm. I, I, I could, it's amazing what you could do in a community. Finally, we should mention briefly that the U.S. Marshals Museum is opening July 1st, and a nice bit of good news this week, another million dollars in their pocket. Yep, a million dollars. Um, the Willard and Pat Walker, Walker Charitable Foundation there in Fayetteville gave you a $1 million pledge. It will support the education efforts. I think a lot of people are familiar don't know that the Marshalls Museum has an education program tied to it where they provide learning materials that focus on the Marshall history, civic literacy, 
and other things. And they've provided that to more than 500 classrooms around the country. This money not only helps them kind of close the gap on their $3 million fundraising uh, capital campaign that's left in it, but will help them expand that um, education program. All right. You can read about all of this and so much more at talkbusiness.net. Michael, great to be back with you. We'll talk again next Friday. You're welcome, sir. Look forward to it. I wonder how many times you've been had, and I wonder how many This weekend on the Vinyl Hour, Albert and Taylor of Margaret's Food Truck stopped by to share good tunes and good stories. We both kind of went with some stuff that reminds us of good times and important times in our lives. That's this Saturday at 5 on KUAF. Wonder I do. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. A second effort to establish a ballot referendum with the idea of overturning the recently passed Arkansas Learns Act is being dismissed by the Arkansas Attorney General's office. In a letter to the group that submitted the proposed referendum title, Attorney General Tim Griffin writes that the proposed popular name for the title is legally sufficient, but the proposed ballot title is not and must be redesigned. Both referendum applications have been made by a group called Citizens for Public Education Students, or CAPES. While many think of homelessness as a problem in big cities, rural areas are also being affected. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope reports the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development is devoting about $22 million to increase home ownership and affordable housing access in rural areas. On a visit to Arkansas, Adrian Todman, the Department of Housing's Deputy Secretary, made the announcement while touring a home built using a department program. She says there are more units to be built. There's a shortage. And when people think about a shortage of housing, they never think about, you know, Russellville, uh, Arkansas. They think about L.A., they think about New York, but it's here too, right? About $12 million of the investment will be for nonprofits and self-help housing organizations. The remaining funds will go to grants for rural development. For Ozarks at Large and the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One, I'm Anna Pope. Elections were held throughout Arkansas earlier this week. In Elkins, results show a tie regarding a school millage, and nobody voted in a school board director's race in Greenland. Jennifer Price, Washington County's Director of Elections, says having a race with no ballot cast is not something new for the commission. And so um, it's something we've been through before, but that candidate will hold the seat over. If they're the current um, member, they'll hold that seat over until the next election. Price says the millages for school districts have to appear on ballots every year, even if there isn't a proposed change. This past election, the commission started preparing for new legislative changes about ballot security, even though the legislation doesn't take effect fully until July. Price says this served as a test run in a smaller election before an election with larger expected turnout takes place. And so we laid out a plan um, that included some very detailed forms for our supervisors that when they're returned and then our crews sign off on those matching seals, making sure the numbers that they're reporting to us match the numbers that are actually in the bags or for the spoiled ballots for the provisionals. And uh, we actually think it went really well for a first look at something. Um, We're really pleased with how everything turned out. Talk Business and Politics reports a renewable hydrogen power plant will be built in Clarksville. The city has signed a contract with Syntex Industries to design the plant, which is expected to cost more than $250 million to build. Talk Business also reports the plant will create more than 100 full-time jobs. Groundbreaking is expected later this year, with limited power production ramping up in 2025 and completion expected in 2026. As he continues his campaign for president, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson is commenting on the verdict in the civil case against former President Donald Trump. The former president was found civilly liable for sexual abuse and defamation in a lawsuit regarding an alleged 1990 assault. The former president has called the verdict a hoax. On a recent appearance on MSNBC, Governor Hutchinson said he respects the verdict in the civil case against Donald Trump. Hutchinson says as a former lawyer, he believes in the jury system. They found unanimously uh, that uh, the allegations of a sexual assault were true. And so I believe we all as a society, and as Republicans, ought to take that jury verdict very seriously. 
uh, to do otherwise undermines our system of justice, which is second to none in the world. And also, it's just simply a reflection of uh, continued indefensible conduct by former President Donald Trump. Hutchinson started his campaign in New Hampshire this week. The Scott Family Amazium is celebrating a more than $10 million gift from the Scott family. A press release from the museum says the gift came after a series of conversations about further support for early learners in the region and about expanding STEAM education initiatives. The National Science Foundation is awarding a $1 million grant to a coalition of organizations in Arkansas, Mississippi, and Louisiana to promote equitable health and economic outcomes in the Mississippi Delta. The Arkansas Center for Health Improvement, or ACI, is the recipient of the planning grant and will lead the tri-state effort. The coalition plans to spend up to 18 months developing a plan to help the region address key health disparities. Nearly 4,400 University of Arkansas graduates will receive diplomas in ceremonies beginning today with commencements from the Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences and the Bumpers College of Agricultural, Food, and Life Sciences. Most other graduation events, including the all-university commencement for graduate students, are tomorrow. The School of Law commencement at the University of Arkansas is scheduled for next weekend. And commencement activities at the University of Arkansas Fort Smith and at the University of the Ozarks in Clarksville are also tomorrow. The number 12 Razorback softball team is out of the SEC tournament after last night's extra inning loss to number 13 Alabama. The tournament continues at Bogle Park with three games scheduled today. Arkansas now waits for an NCAA tournament bid. And number three Razorback baseball opens the final home series of the regular season tonight at Bomb Stadium, hosting number six South Carolina. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art invites guests to experience the final spring month of Listening Forest by artist Raphael Lozano Hemmer. This outdoor nighttime interactive experience includes eight immersive installations activated by visitor participation. Listening Forest is on view until May 28th. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. This is Ozarks at Large. It's a Friday show. we got to get ready for the weekend, a big weekend. To help us do that, Becca Martin-Brown, Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Hello, Becca. Oh, no, seriously, if you're smart, you'll just go back in the house. Why is it that? graduation at the university. Oh it, there's baseball games. There's softball games. Yep. yep. Yeah, it's a big weekend. But Sunday is also Mother's Day. That's right. And even if your mother is no longer with you, Mm -hmm. I'm betting there's somebody who picks you up and dusts you off when you fall. (laughs) Right. And who celebrates with you when you win and who would love to spend some time with you. Yes. So here are some date ideas. Okay. This is Warbird Weekend at the Arkansas Air and Military Museum in Fayetteville. That means planes, right? That means planes, including Doc, the B-29 Super Fortress that shows up every once in a while, mm-hmm. and we love him. Tickets are like $22 for this. So if mom, dad, sister, brother, your best friend happens to love planes, there's your date. Okay. I like it. Or it's trail mix night tonight. Uh, it's uh, the, lower, the ramble. lower Ramble in yeah. Fayetteville. Yeah. That's from 5.30 to 7.30, and it's a cheap date. It's free. You could even do part of that and then go around the corner to Theater Squared and see one of the last performances of Chicken and Biscuit. I think the last performance is Mother's Day, right? It is. I have not seen it, but I'm told it's really, really funny. It's rival sisters who are trying to bury their father without killing each other first. Right. Showtime, 7.30, tonight and tomorrow night, 2 o'clock on Sunday, and then that's it, gone forever. Mm. Ordinarily, I would not necessarily recommend this show for a date. Mm -hmm. It's called The Shadow Box. Yes. It's at Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers. It's the last two performances, tonight and tomorrow night. And it's about three families facing death in like a, a hospice setting. And it's going to gut you. Okay. But it is such an amazing show. The actors are amazing. So if you love good theater and you're willing to take a box of Kleenex. Okay. Gotcha. 8 o'clock tonight and tomorrow night, tickets start at $20. On a lighter note, tomorrow is the first day of the Chaffee Crossing Farmers and Artisans Market in Fort Smith. 
from 8 to 2, and they're having all sorts of fun things on a Hispanic theme. They have fruit and veggie vendors. They have artisans. They have music. It'll be a fun day. And you can go to the museums while you're there and see where Elvis got his haircut for the Army. That's right. That's not too far away from the market. Super Saturday at the Fayetteville Public Library tomorrow at 10 a.m. is the Northwest Arkansas Audio Theater performing. Two o'clock tomorrow at the Bentonville Public Library, still on the hill, is doing Words on Birds. Mm. There's an opening reception tomorrow night from 4 to 6 at Angle and Volkers in Springdale. It's for the Springdale Barn Quilt Project. This is the school. This is an Arts One Presents project where they've asked artists to make the giant wooden quilts that you put up on the outside of a building quilt blocks. Oh, right, right. And they have three ready to go up in Springdale. Where will they go? They will go up at the corner of Emma and Holcomb on what used to be the first security building facing Shiloh Square and on the barn at the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History. I got you. Okay. And they'll be up all summer, but the reception for it is tomorrow from 4 to 6. Or tomorrow night, Ashton Barbary plays at 6 at Ozark Folkways in Winslow. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. Ten bucks. There's all kinds of live music, too. There's the Rail Yard Live Concert Series in Rogers has started. Those shows are free, or you can make a reservation for tables and chairs, which is my recommendation because it's still not expensive, but you don't have to haul Exactly. Things. It's a lot easier to both arrive and depart. Yes. 96 Miles kicks off the patio season tonight at Tawny Town Winery at 7 o'clock. And at Majestic Fort Smith, Austin Mead plays tonight, and American Aquarium and Emily Nanny play tomorrow night. And, of course, one must feed this date. Yes, yes. And you can check out the Let's Eat column in today's sub page in the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. We have a new writer. Ben Collins, and he's having a great time, and you can find out what's new, what's opening, and he's got a little bit of roundup of Mother's Day special dining. So there, you got your entertainment, you got your food, you're ready to go. And you can get out of this pretty cheap. Do not be like my partner who says you're not my mother. (laughs) I'm just going to leave that there. Probably a good place to leave it. Yes. Becca Martin-Brown, features editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Happy Mother's Day, Becca. Talk to you next week. Thank you. It's the Community Spotlight Week in Review here on KUAF Public Radio. I'm Pete Hartman. The first full week of May is Drinking Water Week, and we had the chance to visit with the Beaver Water District on Monday. Beaver Water District pulls water from Beaver Lake, cleans the water, and then pumps it to our customer cities of Fayetteville, Springdale, Rogers, and Bentonville, and then they get that water to your homes. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. We're looking at servicing a little over 360,000 people right now. We turn the tap and there it is. We kind of don't have to think about it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, how many times have you used water this morning? Trish Way, Director of Public Affairs with the Beaver Water District. Also with us, Megan Post, Education Coordinator for BWD. We work, we give uh, drinking water plant tours, and we're open to do that anytime, so please reach out. We want to spread word and awareness of the water industry in general and how important it is to not only recognize where your water comes from, but also recognize the people on the back end that are doing all the hard work to make it happen. And they work 24 hours a day, so we don't stop. Uh, We also go, we uh, visit schools in their classroom, um, and we can visit schools in a creek. So whatever people are interested in, um, we'd love to, to meet you and enlighten you about the fact of where your water comes from. Come out to our facility and take a tour with a group or anything like that. We have a virtual tour online, so visit our website, watch that video, and it'll show you how your drinking water is treated. Trish Way and Megan Post with the Beaver Water District. 65 million, that's million gallons of water flow from the BWD facility every single day.
Music Moves has a brand new home, something they've been looking for since they began operations some three years ago. Remember, Music Moves works to make black music and the arts accessible to both students and our entire community through performances and education. Here's Program Director Anthony Ball discussing the Music Depot in downtown Rogers. As we built this this uh, Music Moves nonprofit, we instantly start looking at spaces. Uh, back three, three and four years ago, that that's always kind of been one of my. I didn't. I I, I seriously think it was going to come this fast. I really didn't. So we've been looking all over. Uh, you know, mostly it was Fayetteville, but these this the owner of this space they ca- actually came to us. And they were like, "Hey, we're retiring." They used to be in the diamond industry, the mm-hmm. jewelry industry, uh, and they want to return this space back to the community. It used to be it was the first movie theater in downtown Rogers. So, and before that, it was a music store called the House of Music. So, uh, so it's already they, got a nice history oh, there. It has an amazing history. So, even the name Depot, we want to kind of return it to uh, and, and pay homage to uh, the downtown story and all those things as well, too. In the daytime, we're going to have a learning center. Uh, and I don't want people to think drum lessons and guitar lessons. Uh, we're talking about lectures. We're talking about uh, master classes. We'll have art residencies uh, from some of the top artists uh, and the top musicians in the country. So, uh, And then in the evening, we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be a regular music venue. So really excited about the, the, what's going on uh, in Northwest Arkansas. I hope everybody feels that. Anthony Ball with Music Moves. Look for performances and classes to begin possibly later this summer at the new Music Depot in Rogers. We end this edition of the Week in Review with the new director of Downtown Initiatives. That's a program coming out of the nonprofit Experience Fayetteville. Kelly Rich has only been in the area for six months. She hails from Florida and has quickly learned the city and citizens and what events might work in the future. And her first such event will be tied to next week's Joe Martin stage race. So what I tried to incorporate is to expand beyond the bicycle realm. So we tried to uh, bring in other types of wheeled activities. So we have some wonderful different organizations joining us, including the roller skating and skateboarding crew that are going to be doing a pop-up skate park. And not only doing, you know, tricks and, you know, uh, uh, showing off their skills, but also inviting the public to join in as well. There will be some additional, um, you know, skates and uh, skateboarding and some little probably impromptu lessons and things like that. Uh, We're also working with the Ozark Adaptive Sports Association, who is going to be coming up and uh, showing us how to do pickleball in wheelchairs. So I expect some other kind of um, uh, opportunities to join in, but we wanted to be sure and highlight um, just the wide range of of capabilities and and that everyone is welcome downtown. Um, Another thing we're working on is the the wheel mobile that's going to be doing some pottery um, oh, kind yes. of a, kind of some demos and, and tours of their new uh, bus. And then um, working on some other kind of family-friendly uh, activities, uh, remote control car racing, which oh. should be fun. And then working with Brandon on some uh, different trike races, all ages, just really a fun day. Kelly Rich with Downtown Initiatives here in Fayetteville. That all-wheels welcome community event is Sunday, May 21st, noon to 4 p.m., just behind the Experience Fayetteville building off Mountain Street. For more, experiencefayetteville.org. Some stuff to look forward to next week on the Community Spotlight. Cobblestone Farms will visit to talk about their annual Farm Day that's coming up. We'll hear about the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks Chefs in the Garden event and a preview of the Washington County Master Gardener's Garden Gate Tour, which comes up in early June. The Community Spotlight can be heard every weekday morning here on Ozarks at Large and available to you at any time at KUAF.com. Just click on the Community tab at the top. I'm Pete Hartman, and remember, at KUAF, your voice matters. This is Ozarks at Large. Most of us experience Theater Squared by going to the theater in downtown Fayetteville and taking in a show. But for thousands of school students across Arkansas, Theater Squared comes to them. Thursday night, T2's annual gala to support education efforts both across the state and in the T2 home in Fayetteville 
will take place at the Fayetteville Public Library. Recently, we invited Chad Dyke, Theater Squared's Director of Education, and Chris Seawood, Corporate and Institutional Manager at T2, to come to our studio to talk about the gala and T2's education work. Chad Dyke says one of the larger educational efforts is a tour. We send um, actors across the state of Arkansas, and last year we saw 25,000 students, um, all free to the school. So we perform a, a show that is uh, you know, tied to course content. So this year we did the Shakespeare show. So they learned a little bit about Shakespeare, <laughs> learned a little bit about English. Um, and it, for many of those students, it's the first time they're getting ready. They're getting to see theater. Um, many of them don't have, there's no theaters in their, in their school or in their community. So we are going there and, and letting them see, you know, news stories or people that look like them on stage. Um, and just to, just to kind of expand what they think about what, what the world is. 25,000 students. Yeah. In one school year? In one, not even in, in 10 weeks. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> 10 weeks? How does that happen? Uh, very, very uh, organized. We're very, very organized <laughs> with it. Sometimes we're seeing two schools in a day, uh, you know, we're, we're, and we're out in the middle of, you know, all over Arkansas. So it's not just in Northwest Arkansas, it's all across the state. So it's, yeah. Multiple places at one time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a, I think we figured it out. It's like a tenth of the, like, at what we estimated as the population of, of Arkansas, like the youth of Arkansas. So we're seeing 10%. Wow. How do schools how do schools become part of this? I mean, any school can can send in a request to us. Right. So any school that, you know, is in Arkansas and we actually also serve some in Missouri and Oklahoma and even over into Tennessee sometimes, depending on things. Um, but, yeah, they just send in a request. And if we can work it into our schedule, we do. So, yeah. So this isn't just Northwest Arkansas. Mm -hmm. So if DeQueen or Lake Village or Precisely. City. Yeah. Yeah, especially we've been to all three of those places. Um, I mean, we went down to Texarkana this year. We've been down in the Delta. We've been kind of everywhere. So. You didn't get into Oklahoma and yeah. into Missouri. Mm -hmm. What should we know about the gala? So with this year uh, for our upcoming gala, we are excited to honor um, some legendary community members, uh, Mrs. Jane Hunt. So I'm sure who is no stranger to the Northwest Arkansas community. Um, two of our um, uh, patrons here from the theater, uh, Meredith Lowry and Emma Willis, who actually are part of our corporate council that do tremendous work um, at spreading the word about our theater um, uh, within the uh, Northwest Arkansas business community and have helped build a robust uh, program that we call Barrier Breakers. They work hand in hand with Mr. Dyke over here and building an incredible program um, to undergird our female entrepreneurs and minority um, business owners in Northwest Arkansas and two incredible um, arts um, educators, Drew and Sheridan Posey will be recognized at the theater. We'll have an incredible meal uh, prepared by um, Chef Matthew Cooper, whom I'm sure everybody is familiar with that owns the restaurant Conifer in Northwest Arkansas. We'll have some great entertainment as well. Um, and this year we're going to have a great after party that kind of culminates things out in the gardens at the Fayetteville Public Library. So uh, if you're looking for something to do on a Thursday night, May 18th, we invite the community business partners, Northwest Arkansas, come out and celebrate with us. Either of you have a theater background? Chat? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I do have a, I do have a theater I background. I do not. <laughs> I, I, you know, my, I, I, the, the, I think I'm like almost the stereotypical at this point in time. I was like trying to do theater at five years old, right? Like trying to run up on stage. Um, but, you know, my mom is an educator and my dad's a preacher. So it kind of came together and now I'm a theater educator. So, yeah. But been doing theater for, I don't know, forever. Too long. <laughs> <laughs> I fell into it. I'm not a theater guy. <laughs> I love that, though, because both of your parents do something in front of people mm -hmm. and, and need to capture attention, mm -hmm. right? Teachers and, and people behind pulpits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you see that. Absolutely. And that's partially, I mean, we have many other programs that, you know, other than other than the tour, we have a PDI, a Professional Development Institute, where we work with teachers um, to how to be more engaging in their classrooms, how to, to use theater in their classrooms, how to, we, uh, trying to support these teachers as they're going into classrooms. So very similar to what you just said. Yeah, it's about that idea of you have to be on stage. You have to be that performer as a teacher. Um, and that's sometimes not, doesn't always come naturally to some some teachers. So. And much like acting, you need to be performative, but also genuine. Yes. We have to believe that that's you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. And be, you know, be honest and be open to your students. And, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about in theater are about empathy or that that being able to relate to someone else's story. And I think it's so important mm. that for teachers. That's a that's the best teachers that I can remember. I think that anyone thinks back on those teachers that like understood you as a human and not just a student in their classroom, yeah. right? That you're that you were a person, you had feelings, you mm. had emotions, and you were learning math or mm. and you were learning social studies or whatever it was. And Chris, through your position at Theater Squared, I mean, you're interacting with a community and partners all the time. Yeah, on a daily basis. So uh, a lot of that, um, what Chad just spoke about, is very helpful for me on a day-to-day basis uh, because what I like to say is uh, I'm in relationship building. Um, so what I do on a day-to-day basis is build relationships. So uh, it requires to me to have a listening ear, to have an empathetic um side if you will so yeah um so i take notes from chad all the time um and they force me to take their classes (laughs) (laughs) well i take notes from you too (laughs) all right if anyone wants to know about any part whether it's the tour or anything else with Theater Squared as far as education and outreach? Yeah, so if you go to theater2.org backslash learn, you'll see programs there for our youth, for educators, and for adults. So we have a multitude of programs in all of those places, and you can find all of that information there. Chad Dyke is Theater Squared's Director of Education, and Chris Seawood is Corporate and Institutional Manager at T2. The gala to support education work by T2 takes place Thursday night at the Fayetteville Public Library. You can find out more at theater2.org. In the background is clarinetist Anat Cohen, and I'm Robert Ginsberg, your host for Shades of Jazz. On this week's edition of the show, we'll hear more music from Anat. We'll also hear from Jimmy Smith, Wayne Shorter, Charlie Hayden, Michael Brecker, Wallace Roney. And if that's not enough, there'll be more. Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF. On our Monday edition of Ozarks at Large, we again go into the archives at the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. This time our guide, Randy Dixon, helps us recall the career of one-time Arkansas resident, Jerry Van Dyke. For the years I've loved Arkansas from coming to Hot Springs to work from the days of the gambling. I started there when they had the gambling during the Faubus era, and I always loved Arkansas. And then uh, I met my wife, in Hot Springs, working there, uh, and uh, she was from here, and that's that's how I, I, I arrived here. From working with his brother Dick Van Dyke, to the infamous sitcom My Mother the Car, to his four-time Emmy-nominated run on the show Coach, to his reason for moving to Arkansas, it's the story of Jerry Van Dyke on Mondays, Ozarks at Large, at noon and 7 p.m. on 91.3 KUAF. And you can listen to Ozarks at Large and KUAF anywhere by streaming at KUAF.com or by using the free KUAF app for iPhone. The Shiloh Museum of Ozark History will host an opening reception for the exhibit Ozark Home Beyond the Frame from 3 to 5 p.m. Saturday, May 18th at the museum. Samantha Sigmund, lead organizer, and the Northwest Arkansas Handweavers Guild will give presentations. More information at shilohmuseum.org. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art invites guests to experience the final spring month of Listening Forest by artist Raphael Lozano Hemmer. This outdoor nighttime interactive experience includes eight immersive installations activated by visitor participation. Listening Forest is on view until May 28th. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. So, you and I haven't talked for a few months probably since the conclusion of the last opera in the Ozark season. Anything new? No. (laughs) (laughs) Rather a lot, actually. Yeah. Rather a lot, indeed. That's Nancy Price, the general director of opera in the Ozarks at Inspiration Point, just outside of the Eureka Springs city limits. This is always a busy time for the company as artists and faculty begin to arrive for the summer season. But, but, Earlier this month, the Walton Family Foundation announced a $34 million grant for a new theater building that will seat 300. Since 1950, Opera in the Ozarks has performed in a series of configurations, always as a training ground for opera professionals. Yesterday, Nancy Price came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk about this gift and about the future 
of opera in the Ozarks. This is the culmination of planning for about six years. Um, about six, five or six years ago, we did a strategic plan. And the theory on the strategic plan is if we had decent facilities, what could we do with them? And so I sat there and thought, okay, if we had a theater we could use year-round, what could we fill it with? If we had dormitories we could use year-round, what could we do with them? If we could use the dining hall year-round, et cetera. Not, none of this had any hope of being funded at that point. Um, but we came up with an idea that what we wanted to do was to grow into being a program that was, you know, 10 months of the year. Mm -hmm. January and February are pretty hard to get to Eureka Springs. But if we could do 10 months of the year, that'd be great. So what kinds of things would we fill those facilities with? Simultaneously, um, we started talking to the Walton Family Foundation. And the plans grew organically um, as... We threw out ideas, they threw out, no, this is what we're interested in. Um, and we are now embarking on the construction of a brand new purpose-built opera theater with some allied facilities inside of it. Um, it'll have a rehearsal hall, it'll have the costume shop, it'll have some other stuff. Uh, and also because the new theater is being placed where the old faculty housing used to be, the Family Foundation said, well, we'll replace the faculty housing, too. That's nice. So we're getting, new fac we're getting 24 new faculty housing spots. Um, they're building us a new parking lot that will, I found out yesterday, be paved. <laughs> I'm very excited about that, never having had a paved parking lot. So this is really a very big thing for us. It's a big step forward. Yes. And what we have done... Um, sort of part and parcel with this, we've created a new corporation, the Inspiration Point Center for the Arts, which will own the buildings and the land and be in charge of everything that's not Opera in the Ozarks. Opera in the Ozarks, which currently owns the land and building, is giving them to the new corporation in exchange for a perpetual lease mm -hmm. for a minimum of eight weeks a year, but they get first priority on anything else they want to do. For the time being, I'll be the general director of both corporations. Okay. Something I'm familiar with. I've been CEO of three companies at once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so no big deal. Um, so a lot of new activities will happen in Inspiration Point Center for the Arts, but Opera in the Ozarks will continue its longstanding tradition of producing high-quality intimate operas and its longstanding position as a training program for young singers. All right, so the questions that so many of us have, um, will this then translate to a 10-month activity season? Do we know eventually? Yes, but not necessarily opera. Right, right. Okay, I don't really believe that in this neck of the woods there's a market for 10 months of opera. But we could have opera performances throughout those 10 correct, months. Correct, right. correct. Um, one of the things I'm really interested in adding is a holiday program, a holiday opera. There are at least 10 that I can name that are really fine productions that never get done because they don't fit the schedule of big companies or maybe they'll do one every 20 years. Right. We could do, we could have a rotation, you know, in this year we do Silent Night and the next year we do something else and the next year um, the Long Christmas Dinner. And there are some fine operas that, by good composers that just never get done. And I think that's, that's a, an area that could work. Eureka Springs really wants to build its Christmas impact. Sure. So I think it's, it's a good combination. If we manage to get to phase two, which is replacing all of our artist housing, then I would have places for people to come and spend a weekend. Uh, when, I mean, this is the one that everyone wants to know. When will this be done? Well, that depends on who you ask. <laughs> Um, the plan originally was to have the theater open in the summer of 24, in time oh. for our season. Frankly, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, yeah. um, just this week, they found some issues on, well, they're digging foundations, and they found some, some geological issues that are now going to take some time to get fixed. You want that foundation to be right. Exactly. You know, I said, I don't need another Surfside. Thank you very yeah, much. Right. <laughs> right. You know, we're not going to be sitting there in the penultimate moment and then suddenly the building crashes down. No, thanks. So um, if we're in the theater by 25, I'm happy as a pig. <laughs> 
Will there be some challenge with the construction going on as there's a summer season? Oh, yeah. Um, well, for one thing, our campus is very torn up. Mm. About half of the campus will be off limits to our summer students and to our audiences. Um, the contractors, right now there's rebar, there's you know dumpsters, there's all kinds of stuff in our parking lot. They've promised me that by the time the students arrive on the 24th, the parking lot will be cleared out. On the 24th of? This month. Oh, okay. May. <laughs> um, but they promised that, you know, we'll sure. ha- and I believe them. Yeah. These guys are great. Um, we have one major issue, and that is that all the trucks have to come in our main entrance, which is between the dining hall and the rehearsal hall. So there will be a lot of truck traffic crossing where everybody goes to get to the dining hall or to the coaching rooms or so somebody had the brilliant idea. Well, why don't we just position a crossing guard? And I, what are we, third grade? <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't sound so. We're going to have a lot of signage. Okay. Um, there'll be lots of lights. And we will hit the students really hard with, you know, you have to be aware that there will be right. trucks coming in. And all the truckers will be warned that, you know, this is the times, the times of day when there'll be a lot of people crossing. But the crossing guard idea would have to be from about seven in the morning until midnight. Oh, well. So it's not like there's a specific time when everybody crosses. You think, oh, well, lunchtime, everybody. No. The dining hall is the only place that students can hang out. And this year with no faculty housing on campus, it's the only place the faculty can hang out. I know you said this was six years in the making. Isn't it really decades in the making? Because you had to build the season and the reputation, and the seasons. Well, we're in our eighth decade. Yeah. Um, And there have been plans for a new theater. I know of at least two other designs that were proposed, um, and maybe there are more, but there was never any money. Mm. So they would spend the wad on getting the designs and then look at each other and say, how are we going to do this? Right. So this is a gift from God with the Walton Family Foundation stepping up. All right, you may not want to answer this. You may not have thought about this, and I'm not going to hold you to this. But if you had your choice, the first ever performance in this brand new, wonderful facility, is there an opera that you would love to see christen? There are tons of operas I would love to do, (laughs) but they're not appropriate for the kind of singers we get. Mm. Um, I know this probably won't happen as the first opera. But one of the things that the artistic director and I are both really eager to do is Sweeney Todd, oh, which we could wonderful. never do in our old theater because we didn't have enough height. The new theater will have a trap room, which is a hole in the stage that goes down below the stage. So we can really dispatch all of the barber's victims. <laughs> they can go to hell. Don Giovanni can go to hell. You know? <laughs> right. We ha- we'll have the facility and we're going to have the height that we can do a two-tiered set. Nice. We'll be able to, we, we aren't building a fly rail. Um, as it turns out, A, that's extremely expensive. Um, but the second thing is the trend in opera production is more and more to use, rear, to use projections. Right. And we've been doing rear projections for, well, at least nine years. So we're going to make sure we have the facilities to do that, and we sacrificed the flies. But we will have some, um, some ability. There'll be some, some rails up there. Uh, there'll be a, a, dro- a roll drop. Um, there's a couple other things. We'll be able to hang curtains. Right. Um, you know, legs. Right. All kinds of stuff like masking. Uh, congratulations. Um, come back before the season opens, and, and we'll go further into depth. I would be very happy to. Thanks for coming by. Thank you. Nancy Price, General Director of Opera in the Ozarks at Inspiration Point, speaking with me yesterday in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. If you have a business or organization within KUAF's listening area and want to support public radio while connecting our thousands of engaged listeners with your services, consider becoming a KUAF business member today. Starting at just $500, you'll be linked on our business members directory and mentioned during our spring and fall on-air fund drives. Sign up today at KUAF.com.
This is Ozarks at Large. The Ozarks at Large and KUAF family grew this week. James Allen Moore joined us Tuesday evening at 517. He's the son of Emily and Matthew Moore. Everybody happy and healthy. Matthew will be away from our airways for a few weeks as the family settles in together. Welcome, James. Matthew, by the way, also a musician and composer, and he's been ready to play an original lullaby for his son for a while. We like the lullaby enough to play it now for you. A wonderful way to help us end a busy week. Lullaby, written especially for James Allen Moore. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Artist Point. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to our Friday show today included Anna Pope, Pete Hartman, Michael Tilley, Becca Martin-Brown, and Matthew Moore and his guitar. Additional content today provided by our partner station, KUAR, Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. We'll be back with you Sunday morning, Mother's Day, at 9 a.m. for Weekend Ozarks at Large. We start a brand new week of new daily shows Monday at noon and 7. You can always ask your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. From the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a great weekend.